Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are broadcasting from two shipping containers outside Roberta's Pizza. I just have to say it's a beautiful day, and I hope people are listening to us. (laughs) You better be. (laughs) Because next week, Alice and I are officially going outside, and we're going to be working outdoors every day, which we're really excited about. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And we are the Gardeners and Ladies of Groundworks, Inc. And today's show, we're going to talk about sort of a follow-up to last week's show. Last week, we said, okay, we finally have good weather. You need to get out there and start cleaning your gardens or hire someone to do that. Maybe hire us us to do it. Um, But if, let's say you're in a situation where you don't, really have a garden you really need help Um, you want to begin where do you begin you have a space but you don't know what to do with it exactly let's first mention our sponsor ah yes Hearst Ranch is grass-fed beef program yes our sponsor today Um, so you have an outdoor space and this might be your first garden and you don't really know what to do where to begin who should you hire should you hire someone at all do you need an architect do you need a landscape architect, a garden designer, a landscaper. What? Where do you begin? Well, the first thing that you want to decide is what what exactly it is that you want. How do you want to use your outdoor space? Do you want to make a masonry patio? Do you want to make a outdoor living room, a deck? Do you want to dig a swimming pool? Do you want a whole new planting plan, or you know, a complete overhaul of the whole space? Those are decisions that you kind of have to make, mm-hmm. you know, on your own before you choose the kind of person that you hire. Because depending on the scope of the work and also um, kind of the municipality where you live and its building and home improvement codes, that's what's going to determine whether you need an architect or a landscape architect to file plans. Versus a garden designer or just a landscaper to kind of improvise. Exactly. So you need to know, especially if you're new to an area, you need to find out you know, what the rules are. Because and if you have to submit to a, a building code, you know, board. Well, some towns, for some example, towns. like in Scarsdale or in other mm-hmm. suburbs where we've worked, you can't do anything without get filing plans with an architect and filing it with the town and getting approval. They have very strict codes about even the patios, mm-hmm. you know, fences. How, fences, everything. So you can't just be rogue about it because you will pay the price. They'll make right. you tear it down. Well, there's also landmarks here in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, depending on what you want to do, you have to, and you can, you know, nyc.gov will help you determine if you need, you know, what, what types of regulations you need. Yeah, that's a good beginning if you're here in the city. So if you do want a, you know, an underground pool or permanent structure like a pergola or shed, you definitely need to get an architect involved mm-hmm. to file the plans. However, that being said, um, for most um, city and small to medium suburban gardens that really don't require like extensive earthwork or regrading or, you know, building retaining walls or anything like that, usually a qualified garden designer can help you achieve your vision mm-hmm. without um, having to go to an architect. Or a structural engineer a structural for weight issues. Exactly. Sort of On rooftop gardens, you have to consider that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Alice, because people don't realize that weight is a real issue and on roofs they soil can. gets wet and very heavy <laughs> and so yeah. do tree roots <laughs> yeah i mean most people don't know this but one cubic foot of soil one foot by one foot by one foot weighs 
can weigh between 50 and 100 pounds mm-hmm. wet. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of uh, weight load on your roof um, that wasn't there before. <laughs> um, so helping to, um, you know, helping you decide which kind of person you need to hire, I'm going to like broadly and loosely define the terms of the different people that work in garden areas and what their roles are. An architect, they have to be licensed to practice and they have to pass like very rigorous tests in order to, you know, practice in various states. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're the ones that can file with building departments and things Mm -hmm. like that. And and give you stamped drawings. Exactly. If if your co-op or condo, for example, if you live in a co-op or condo, they may want a stamped drawing from an architect. They may want your architect to present to the board Mm -hmm. before you do any work because, Mm -hmm. you know, that impacts everybody else in the building potentially. Um, A landscape architect also is required to be licensed in most states. And they're different. Of course, they're much usually more well-versed in architects in elements of outdoor work grading, um, you know, soil work, those kinds of things, drainage. um, And many of them specialize in one particular kind of work, either residential work, institutional work, or like, you know, civic work, Mm -hmm. you know, making parks, you know, they make playgrounds, they design university campuses. And of course, the probably the most famous one and landscape architect of all time is Frederick Law Olmsted, who you know, built and designed uh, Central, Central Park, Park and, and, Prospect, Prospect, Park. and Prospect Park, which I think is better than Central Park. <laughs> and many other parks all over the country. Yes, and, and campuses. And also, I think, some private residences, mm-hmm. too. So, and But landscape architects often work with architects on large building projects. Mm-hmm. They're usually brought in. Now, the third group of individuals are garden designers, and they are a mixed bag. They are not licensed and they're not required to be licensed. Pretty much anybody can hang out their shingle and call themselves a garden designer. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you have to be really careful about who you hire. Some have been trained at botanic gardens and have completed some kind of certificate program. Some come from the sort of nursery side and learn about plants on the job. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that they understand how to build patios or, you know, understand drainage and things like that. So how do you choose? Well, we found that the best way is to ask friends, ask family, and even neighbors whose gardens you admire for Mm -hmm. a referral. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of our best projects come from referral. Alice and I almost never advertise um, because the the people that we work with, if if they like working with us, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually we also you know, get a lot of work from landscape architects to implement their designs or exactly. to help them with their planting plans because they're not so well versed in plants um, and appropriateness. But however, they are excellent at structural issues and grading and exactly. So sometimes we work in in conjunction with architects and landscape architects. That's true. And also a good point is um, landscape architects and architects usually don't build out their own right. projects. There are some that might, but most are not. Right. Most of them most don't do that. Most just do the design and then hand it over to a general contractor or a design build firm. Exactly. Or just a build firm. Yes. So once you get the referral from a friend or family member or from someone, you want to see a portfolio of their work. If they're not organized enough to have a portfolio either online or in in a book, you know. That's kind of a red flag. Yeah, (laughs) that speaks volumes because they're in a visual business. Right. You know, so if you're not, if you don't have work to show, you, you know, you can't drive potential clients around to see where, I mean, you can, but who has the time to do that? So 
look for someone whose portfolio shows a variety of work, shows some creativity within the portfolio itself. Right. Because that's the first impression that the, the new potential client will have. Um, also make sure, especially if you live in a communal building like a co-op or a condo, that they have insurance mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Workers' comp and general liability. Mm-hmm. If, if something gonna, happens, mm-hmm. who's responsible? If they don't have it, you're going to pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, um, Allison and I found that there has to be beyond the professional skill of the person. You know, you might have a person that knows a lot about plants, and we run into that sometimes. But they don't have they don't have good people skills. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a good fit between the client and the designer. And we found that the most successful projects are ones where the client and the designer are kind of on the same page, and they really work together towards a common vision. Mm-hmm. It helps if the client has a little bit of a vision. They don't have to you know, articulated in, in terms that are like, you know, crystal clear, like, oh, this is exactly what I want. But they have to be able to express a little bit, you right. know, of how what the space is going to be used, ex- who's going to use it. Exactly. What it, they're, yeah. Because yeah. I found that some of the most difficult projects is when the client doesn't know anything about plants and doesn't have a clue about what they want, mm-hmm. you know, like it doesn't, <clears throat> they don't It's like ha- pulling teeth. It's really hard. Yeah, really, really hard. So it all starts at the beginning. If there's a good fit, you have a, you feel like, you know, you click with the person, you kind of know, you know, that it's going to be a good fit. You go with your instincts. And if the designer is really listening to you, and Alice and I found that um, sometimes egos get in the way. Some designers have a, you know, they have a certain style of garden they make and that's it. And they try to stuff their, uh, you know, their aesthetic and ideologies down somebody's throat. Mm -hmm. And Alice and I don't work that way just to toot our own horn for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we think that the garden has to be about the place Mm -hmm. and the people that live in it, not about us. Of course we have opinions. Uh, You know, for those of you who've been listening to the show for the past few months, You know we have opinions, but <laughs> that's why we're on the radio. <laughs> yeah, we like to listen to hear. We like to hear our own selves talk, but we 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 try not to impose our vision on the client, mm-hmm. and you know we think that that's part of what's made us successful in what we do. So it begins with listening, and I want to stress that the designer's role. Step one is to listen to your desires, your problems, and your issues. For example, you say, "I want privacy." I want a children's or dog area. I want a low maintenance garden. I want a, a cut flower garden. I want to reduce noise. I want shade. I want, you know, an entertaining and dining space. You know, you have to really listen to the client. And then um, you have to get into the subject of budget right away. And I can't stress that enough. Um, a lot of times, especially with first time garden makers, they don't have a clue about what Things, things cost really yeah. cost and they usually underestimate mm-hmm. you know what things cost everybody's gone to home depot everybody's gone to a nursery and bought a plant or two and but what they don't know often is the labor mm-hmm. you know cost that's involved mm-hmm. and and that's you know a big issue so um it's important to be honest with the designer about what your budget is it's mm-hmm. not a game you no. know what i mean we're not trying to you know take money out of your wallet you no, know? we're trying to create a good product for you that fits your budget and right. if we design something that is not within your budget we've just wasted an enormous amount of time right and you know? if you say okay i've got a ten thousand dollar budget okay that's great we'll design accordingly but alternatively if you say you've got a fifteen hundred dollar budget 
we can design accordingly and help you prioritize you know for for that budget too mm-hmm. so our our job is to help you succeed with your outdoor space and also to help you be realistic you know disappointment occurs when people don't have you mm-hmm. know realistic expectations when they run to home depot and they buy a bunch of beautiful flowering you know annuals and they stick them in and they think oh my god great i've got a garden and mm-hmm. then like a month later oh, all this money that I just spent, why aren't these things blooming? What's Mm -hmm. wrong? Exactly, exactly. And when you're budgeting, I want to just say you should pay for design time. Good designers don't give away their designs usually for free, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you're dealing with a project that involves construction, building a deck, building a patio. Mm -hmm. Um, Anybody can do a quick sketch on a piece of paper, but will that help you really visualize what's happening? Mm -hmm. So with respect to that, it's usually such a tiny fraction of what the whole budget is going to be. If somebody says to you, I will design it for free, that's also sometimes a red flag, you right, know, because right. they're going to just make you pay for it some other long, way. In the long run. Right. <laughs> so it's about respect. If you have an interior designer, you're going to pay them, even though they're not they're not the painters. They're not putting down the carpet. They're not, you know, um, you know, providing the furniture necessarily. But you're paying for advice. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's valuable. And for you know? advocacy, basically, with all the other trades involved a mason or or a carpenter or so that the client is um uh getting the integral design uh that was designed does that make sense so that they are getting the design that they are buying that's what the designer can do and it, and then you're at, and Alice is right they're your advocate uh we for example Alice and I are a design build firm so we design and we build obviously But many times we have to subcontract out certain elements like lighting, irrigation. Mm -hmm. So because you've paid for our time, we are on your side. We represent you and Mm -hmm. not, you know, the contractor. Now, that being said, um, so you, you know, listen to the client, you talked about budget. Now we have to, our job as designers is to articulate your desires into garden language. What does that mean? If you say to us, my desire is privacy, we figure out fencing for you. If you say, uh, I want to reduce noise, we figure out hedging or something appropriate mm-hmm. in that regard. So, And part of the articulation is the visuals and the plans that the designer provides. This is the most important tool in the communication process. You know, you, you know you're going to, I can say to you, I'm going to make you a perennial border. That means nothing to most people. So the designer has to translate the vision into understandable language. I know what a U-hedge is going to look like or a mixed herbaceous border, but does the client know? Mm-hmm. So the plans are very important, you know, and that's that's that step. And and making a garden, as Alice mentioned before, is very different from renovating a kitchen or a bath. Most people are very competent to go pick out tile, pick out kitchen cabinets. But in the realm of gardens and in plants, most clients don't have the knowledge to make those choices. They don't have you know, the horticultural knowledge to Mm -hmm. choose plants. So they really rely on the skills of the plants person and the designer. Who knew from plants? (laughs) Right. So then after you've got the plan, then you have to kind of refine it. And this is where the client really has to kind of sit up and listen. In this step, what happens, I think, is desire bumps up against budget. (laughs) And then they have to be reconciled. Compromises and choices have to be made. And in this step, the ideas are really concretized and a real budget and plan is finalized, right? Mm -hmm. And then the final step is building it. 
Now, depending on, like I said previously, the role of the designer, if they're a design build firm, they're going to proceed to schedule and coordinate all the different elements of the project, the masons, the carpenters, the lighting people, the irrigation, exactly. If they're strictly designers, their job now is to provide you with the tools to bid out the work to competent garden builders. So they're, they're again, they're your advocates, and Mm -hmm. that's why you pay for the design. So, and, and... um, be prepared for surprises like any other renovation project you're gonna there's gonna be delays and you know you can only anticipate so much as you start to excavate you don't know what you're gonna find underground you know you may <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa <laughs> yeah you may find Jimmy Hoffa or a concrete patio or a buried tank so be flexible um, you know if, if the designer says it's gonna take a month it might take five weeks or six weeks you mm-hmm. know And um, finally, I'd like to say when you're budgeting, remember the maintenance. Um, Ongoing maintenance is critical to successful gardens over time. So you have to budget. You know, every garden needs maintenance, even a low maintenance garden. It's not a no maintenance garden. It's low maintenance. So you have to either plan to do it yourself or, you know, pay somebody to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So... And Alice and I, of course, do all these different things. And that's why, you know, after so many years of doing it, we've come to the conclusion that clients who who don't um, value maintenance, mm-hmm. you know... Don't really it, understand what they're embarking on. No, and they're not really... Interested in a garden. No, they're more interested in an like an outdoor room. And that's a very different thing, you know. Which I will talk about in a moment. Yes, Alice <laughs> is going to talk about um, style, different kinds of garden styles in a minute. You're listening to um, We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Stay tuned. I've had it with this town and never saw I never saw the ground Or the sunset rise I wanna live on abstract frame I'm building a frame Place to put my ten yard stair Thinking of that paint Painting in plain air I wanna live on an abstract frame I need Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants, Heritage Radio Network. That was Frank Black, Abstract Plane. Since we're kind of talking about garden design, we all kind of want to live on an abstract plane, I think, sometimes. So now we're talking about designing your own plane in your own space. And you know how some years it's kind of shabby chic that's that's in style, which is like old and rusty and cottage style and messy. And then other years it's totally mod with clean straight lines and geometric patterns and minimal monochromatic plantings. And then there's the exotic years, <laughs> the Italianate or the Roman style gardens. Or and it always circles around. Yeah, right? it just yeah, comes yeah. back around. And you know, you look at the garden design magazines and they always have like the what's hot this year and you know maybe it's asian gardens or zen gardens or indian gardens with flower like you know floral fabrics and hanging lanterns and you know it really is 
about style and what's hot and what's not. So you look at these, you know, trade magazines um, and you look at the pictures and you think, wow, I want to have this garden. And, and, you know, your garden designer, you have this appointment with your garden designer and she comes and or he comes and you show the, the designer this this picture and they say that's great but that's southern california and we're in new york or <laughs> you know we're in atlanta yeah. and you're looking at a seattle based garden yeah. so you really have to think about regionalism when it comes to planning a garden and defining style is what makes a garden great that's why those pictures look so great but it's okay to import that kind of stylistic vision into your regional place Mm -hmm. so um, we always suggest that the garden be a reflection of the client so that it doesn't seem imported or too stylistic so there's ways of creating that kind of southern california border with new england style plants Um, gardens are very very personal and they should really articulate the personality of the client and the landscape that they are going to exist in So, for instance, native plantings can resemble a prairie landscape or bamboo and maples to reflect an Asian landscape. You don't have to have, you know, a Chinese scholar's garden to have a flavor of of Asian. If your home has a lot of Asian accents or that that Mm -hmm. your tastes tend towards that, sometimes just a few touches is enough. You don't need overkill. And the garden should really be a reflection of your interior space. It should carry through. You know, it shouldn't be like completely separate and and different. It should be the way you live, so to speak, in the general sense. So if you're into like French and formalism, then you should think about a parterre garden and you should have bedding plants to create formality. Um, If you're kind of loose, you know, and beachy, then you want to have a kind of beachy style garden, which would be rosa ricosas and kind of gnarly pines and sea oats and a more looser style. Or, you know, woodland plantings, hostas and trilliums and dogwoods to create this kind of natural, you know, upstate New York kind of garden. Like if your home is kind of cabin-like and rustic and, you know, you use found objects. But, you know, you can also contrast the garden starkly with the interiors too. If you really want, you know, the garden space to be, um, you know, radical, I mean, that, that can be done as well, you know, if you, if you want a meditation room or something like that you know it can be starkly different but it usually works if it's a flow Mm -hmm. from the indoors some sort of complementary and you can do that through materials through um fabrics for instance you can you know the fabrics that you use inside could be imported somehow to the outdoor dining table perhaps lighting fixtures can create a, a, a great sense of style in a garden paper lanterns versus ship lanterns like that kind of style plant choices can reflect and also set the tone of the style of garden like um, you know bamboo for Asian gardens or like I was just saying, Rosa Ragosas for beach gardens. There's also sand and rock accents. Zen gardens, um, you know, for can be can be produced using sand. Um, dry alpine rockery gardens, you know, can can emit a feeling of of high up altitude. And mosses, even just a small patch of a mossy yeah. area or mossy rocks 
can give a feeling of the woodland, you right. know, without having to plant a bunch of precious, you know, what you know one week blooming trilliums you know what i mean right, like, so. right and and lawn you know do you want some lawn in your garden um and then if you do decide you want lawn because you've got kids or you've got a garden or a, i mean a, a dog perhaps is that should that be artificial lawn mm-hmm. or should it be real sod you know and then again like carmen suggested maintenance how are you going to maintain that for instance a lot of our brownstone kind of Park Slope, Brooklyn Heights, you know, Midtown, um, Brownstone Gardens, they want to have lawn. So, well, how are you going to bring a lawnmower through your Brownstone to mow it? Or are you going to get out there, you know, every six or seven days with a quiet, you know, environmentally friendly push mower? Are you really going to mow the gr- mow the lawn? The, those are the type of realistic. No, you're not. Conversations <laughs> you're not that you need to be it. having, you know, and that's why maybe you should think about the artificial turf just yeah. as an idea. I'm not. I'm just throwing it all out there. Mm-hmm. So the types of containers that you use can also tell a lot about the style of the garden you're creating. For example, glazed for like an Asian-inspired motif. Terracotta is good for a kind of Mediterranean-style garden. You could look for mosaic kind of containers for Indian or Middle Eastern-style gardens. For a garden to feel complete and all of these elements, these elements really should complement each other so for instance say you inherit um or you you know you're blessed to have an existing geometric bluestone patio right which would be like large stones cut from rectangular pieces it would be silly to design a garden for like an asian inspired garden around this kind of patio style because it's it's already dictated by these big slabs So rather, this patio style is more mid-century modern or Italian or French because of the formality that's inherent in the patio that you've been blessed with. (laughs) But that hasn't stopped people from doing it. Yeah. So (laughs) but doing some mishmashing. (laughs) Yeah, there is, you know, but but my point is that form should follow function and form dictates the success of your space. So then the material choices that you make are very, very important to creating a very good stylistic garden. So as garden designers, we approach clients with the most basic question, how do you want to use the space and who's going to use the space? These yeah. two questions, more than any other two questions, in, in my opinion, really determine the outcome. So the third question, as Carmen discussed, is budget. Mm-hmm. How much can you spend on it now and how much can you spend on it in the following years? A lot of times, as budgets are tight, especially these days, <laughs> garden installations are phased. That is, the project will roll over into following years or into subsequent planting seasons prioritizing and being realistic about how the space will be used will create the successful design for um for now and and, and for the future for the future and there's definitely an order of things you know if you Mm -hmm. if you have in the plan a patio and plantings you need to do the patio first Mm -hmm. you know and and or the carpentry first or right Mm -hmm. and that's why a master plan um you know, pay, pay for the master plan. And then as, as funds come available in subsequent years, then you can implement them. Sure. That will determine how the site is initially cleaned up, 
how patios and um, and decking are installed and laid out. So um, a lot of times, most of our clients um, work with us this way. Um, so they'll pay for the master plan, and then we'll come up with kind of a schedule of how that is going to be implemented. Yeah, and remember, um, you can plant in the fall too. Yes. You know, Alice and I stress that a lot of times for our clients, we don't have to panic plant you know only april may and june you can do some work like the masonry in the spring or build a deck and then in the fall you can plant or Mm -hmm. the following spring Mm -hmm. that's also going to determine what type of plantings you want like like if you want to like it it helps you prioritize so if you want a hedge is that hedge going to be or i'm sorry if you want like screening is that going to be a hedge or is that going to be a fence and then you can prioritize based on your budget you know how it's going to be implemented. So um, if you, you know, say you've got a rubble strewn backyard, um, what's first, you know, clean it out, that's first. And then and then sit with the designer and talk about how, you know, what you want that space to look like, and then figure out how you're going to actually implement it based on your budget. That's why a master plan and a relationship with a garden designer is really a long term relationship. Yes, we have clients that we've had for eight years or more because mm-hmm. their uh, their gardens are evolving and they and their style also changes. Exactly, and say they want you know a large tree, um, you know they they know that in the future they want like a big large shade tree, you know because their site is like super hot or something. So, but they don't have a big budget, so maybe it's worth you know in paying for that tree to be installed early so that later on you have that shade and then you can put your patio underneath that canopy and enjoy your harvest table dinner you know exactly and also as we noticed this past week mother nature knocks down trees and gardens that were shady are now sunny right right (laughs) so So, like carmen said be flexible yes (laughs) but really a garden is is a process and carmen kind of touched on this earlier about the whole like bathroom and kitchen thing it's not something that's done and then you walk away from it you you keep working on a garden because it grows and it changes and nature like you know trees falling over happen so gardens are very specific in in their design and it takes a lot of uh, work up front to really get that kind of picture perfect you know garden design magazine image and keep in mind those images in those magazines that's a photo shoot it is know? a photo shoot it and those a- have been manicured to death right before the photographer got in of course yeah you know? by staff you know by a staff of 10 you know photo people and and gardeners yeah so yeah and keep in mind that your garden is yours Mm -hmm. it's okay to go out there and mess around in it even if you have a gardener yeah right in fact we you should because you should know what its strong points are and what its weak points are and um, a garden is never a complete project it's a process that changes with the seasons and the years and that's the beauty of it it's not a bathroom that's finished in a few weeks it will because of seasons and time and be- harsh winters <laughs> become its own thing so that's why the materials you choose are really a reflection of yourself so gardens are really environments that live and breathe and grow and die they yeah. do yeah they, they do. die and plants it's, die it's a fantasy <laughs> a garden is really a fantasy of far off places so the materials and the layout are very important to the articulation of such spaces And now we're going to take another break. 
And I'm going to pay a bit of tribute to our old friend that died too soon this week, Alex Chilton, and to a song about a fantasy place that I hope he's at right now. This is India Song by Alex Chilton. Welcome back. We dig plants, Heritage Radio Network. Now, we just kind of want to wrap up today's segment with um, some products that we're excited about this year in planting gardens. Um, And the first is this hanging pot holder that's called the cinch. (laughs) It's It's a cinch. (laughs) it's, It's an adjustable stainless steel wire hanger for pots um, and it seems to kind of fade away so that the pot appears to be floating in space um, it's a great departure from the hunky macrame 1970s although the macrame is back it's back i know it's back. unfortunately i know it's back but i like this one better <laughs> me too um so the cinch is available at gardenbasket.com and the other one that i really like is from gardener supply company and it's basically these metal corner brackets that screw into um, boards for making raised beds. So it's a great way of squaring up boards so that you can make raised container beds for veggies or flower beds. That's great for people who aren't, you know, sort of mechanically inclined or carpentry inclined. Yeah, I don't want to, like, be fussing around with screws. I want to be planting, you know, Yeah, and if your soil is really poor and you don't really want to do the back-breaking work of Mm -hmm. digging out just make a raised bed yeah. and you'll put brand new soil in an insta garden in that way. Exactly. So these are these uh, metal brackets that actually square up boards. Um, Gardener Supply Company. And the other thing that we're really excited about this year, and it's a little little passe, but um, reclaimed masonry and wood. Use this stuff that you guys find. Please keep it from going into the landfills. Used bricks um, can create gorgeous patios. In fact, some of our clients pay a lot of money to get reclaimed brick in instead of using new brick because they want that old world look. Um, And large slabs of wood um, can be, you know, old doors, you know, clean them up, use them for garden tables or, you know, doors for interesting entryways into gardens. Fence posts, you know, can be used as hammock stakes you know use this old stuff because and garden sculpture i've found some great 
trash, you know, that I've yeah. ended up using as sculpture in my garden. And even some of my garden furniture is found. It's amazing, especially in New York, um, how much people throw out that's still really usable. I found vintage 50s chairs. Right. All kinds of great stuff. But what I meant is earlier when I was talking about style, yeah, you have to edit this stuff. I mean, be mm-hmm. careful because you don't want it to look like a junk show, you know? Mm-hmm. You want it to be stylistically appropriate. So just because it's found doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's like Good. perfect, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the other thing that, that I love, and I'm always surprised when I when I see it in a garden and I think it's great, is driftwood. Um, I feel like I feel like a piece of driftwood has a story to tell about where it came from and you know, what what beach it used to be on or what ship it fell off of or and and I like that that there's a story inherent in that because I think that's what gardens are all about a story and a place and a time and a fantasy you know mm-hmm. so um much more than kitchens and bathrooms Alice. exactly <laughs> exactly they don't inspire fantasy <laughs> right <laughs> Well, well, not for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happier in the garden. Let's just me keep it too. that way. So, uh, Carmen, I think you have some special events you want to talk about. Yes, I have one special event, actually. Um, one of my favorite nurseries, local nurseries, actually, is Rare Fine Nursery in Jackson, New Jersey. They um, have a great selection of shrubs, flowering shrubs, many of them native and some really rare things, hence the name, Rare Find. Um, and they are having, um, considering the winter that we've had, an appropriate class, First Aid for Injured Plants, a pruning workshop. And after this horrible winter, I suggest that you um, head out there and take it because it's free. It's Saturday, March 27th from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. And um, Rare Finds uh, nurserywoman Anne Haynes is going to explain and demonstrate the whys and wherefores of pruning. Wherefores. Wherefores. <laughs> That's from their website. We'll put a link to their website um, on our Facebook fan page after the show. There's going to be a morning session at 1030 and an afternoon session at 1.30. So you just you know go to their website, choose which session you'd like to attend, and then you sign up. And importantly, it's free. Most pruning classes cost, you know, yeah. 75 or 100 $200. And this is a really great opportunity to learn hands-on from one of the best nurserymen in the area. And it'll be beautiful because things will be yes. swelling and budding. Yeah, and they have a witch hazel festival every year. Mm-hmm. So they specialize in witch hazels and, and magnolias and things like that. So um, that wraps up our show for today. We'd like to thank you for listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We're also going to post a questionnaire on our Facebook fan page pertaining to garden design, questions to help you figure out what you want. And think about your space. Exactly. And you can check that out at Groundworks Inc. We Dig Plants. We want more fans. We're asking you guys to tell your friends about us. And, and you know what? We're going we're gonna to pick each week um, of the new fans... New fans, we're going to pick one special person and send them a gift. So, to become a fan, we're we'll br- contact we're, you. We're bribing you. So, and we'll <laughs> contact you and we'll we'll get your address and we'll send you a, a nice little Gardening surprise gift. gift. Um, so, we're also going to, of course, put a link to the products that we mentioned, the nursery that we mentioned. Um, we'd like to thank Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street and um, Jack Inslee for producing, Nat Wiener for engineering, and of course, um, Hearst Ranch grass-fed program um, as our sponsor today. We look forward to seeing you in the gardens. Send us pictures of your gardens if you have them. We'd like to see them. And until next week, happy gardening. That, thank you so much.